If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Nicole Tuff. Nicole's a Grand Prix dressage specialist, competitor, trainer and coach, and she's also a Grand Prix judge. Hi Nicole, how are you? Hello, Glennis. How are you? <laughs> great, great. Nicole, we normally start off with a favourite quote. It could be a favourite quote that you use when you're teaching or something that's inspired you. Have you got one for us today? I do. I'm a bit of a quote collector. I have one on the top of my um, diary page each week. But my favourite is, winners never quit and quitters never win. Yeah, I think that's a good one. So, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing is, too, that often, you know, we're talking about within competitions, you're not always a winner, but if you're not a quitter, then you'll keep going and you'll end up winning again anyway. That's right. For me, yeah. the quote is all about perseverance, and this is more important than talent. And it's also all about attitude. Uh, we all have setbacks, but it's, it's how you get back up that counts. Yep, yep. All right, Nicole, when you started with horses, I think you had something to do with race horses. What, what was the story there? Yes, um, we lived in suburbia, Brisbane, and owning a horse was never something that I even contemplated that w w my life was about. And I was 12 years old, and I remember a, a random rider just um, walked down our street, and I was just so overawed and thought that was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen, <laughs> not knowing that one day I would have a horse. And now, even if I ever walk down a street on my horse, and I, I really understand the awe in, in bystanders' eyes, and I always smile to myself because that's my first memory mm. of seeing you know, a horse up close. And then my dad bought a half share in a racehorse, and from there, I, the racehorse trainer conspired with my dad, and I got my first horse, Chachi, at the age of 13. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then from 13... Did you ever think you were going to have a career with horses when you were 13 or how did that come about? Absolutely not. I was just, a, you know, a pony club girl, loved doing my pony club certificates and my rally days and then, you know, we got a horse float and suddenly I was doing some gymkhanas and it was all about the horses for me. Like um, I got a retired racehorse off the track and he was very good at jumping. So I decided cross country was really cool. And that's what I did for a few years. And, and then an Anglo Arab came our way and he was particularly good at dressage. So that's how I got my, my I was always running last at a one day event in the dressage phase and never really thought that was really important. But again, this horse came my way and, and I discovered a, a passion and a love of dressage. And yeah, it was only when I was at university um, studying that people started to ask me for lessons. I was studying a Bachelor of Arts and a Diploma of Education. So I always thought I had a flair for coaching and teaching. It's what I wanted to do. But I never thought that I'd be able to do what I love doing every single minute of every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, even if people start 
in a different type of career. They've still got horses, you know. So the fact that you were coaching as you were going through uni, you were probably destined to be on that path anyway. Yes, yes. It's it's a peculiar how life um, throws you opportunities. <laughs> mm, mm. Now, for people who are looking to get into the horse industry now, you know, say they were just leaving school or, you know, changing careers, what sort of core skills do you think they need and what sort of character traits? Horse handling skills are really fundamental to any kind of career in the horse industry. So that includes grooming, catching and leading, washing, rugging, bandaging, cooling them down after work. A horse industry professional needs to have knowledge of the horse's conformation and anatomy, health, you know, treatments for first aid. They also need to develop a recognition of their body language and behaviour. And I don't think any of that can be achieved by studying online or reading a book. You have to spend time with horses and people who know horses. And yes, you also have to read books and they have to know and really embrace the fact that they'll never stop learning. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's that time spending with horses, just watching them, reading them, being in different situations. And all books and online are is a complement to your learning. You know, you can, you can do things Absolutely. a bit faster if yeah. you're learning, watching videos, everything, but the time with the horses is important as well. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. Okay, and what do you think? I mean, because you've gone on now and you're competing, riding, training at Grand Prix, and you're also judging at Grand Prix. For people to get to a higher level, you know, to excel in what they're doing, what else do they need? Uh, essential to any kind of elite performance is finding a good accredited coach, I think, with proven results both in the saddle and their students. So the students obviously have to, I think, be showing you know, some, which, which proves that the coach is on the right path. And I also think that you have to practice. Mm. <laughs> you have to practice or you can't get it wrong. And you have to never quit. And you can't let the horse quit. Yes. Um, yes. They're probably some of my biggest training tips is, you know, find a good coach, practice so you can't get it wrong and never quit even when, you know, the chips are down. Mm, mm. And I think that's a good one about practicing till you can't get it wrong because a lot of people practice and, uh, you know, you can say – they pra- get it right. Exactly, exactly. You've just got to yep. keep going and going. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, hmm All right. Who do you think's influenced you? the most or you know if you've got some key people who've influenced you learn more yes look I I have always ever since I started riding I've had a lesson every single week mm-hmm. and there have been some wonderful coaches that I've worked with over the past 24 years and I haven't gone a week without a lesson eyes on the ground are imperative to improvement we are all be a legend in our own backyard but we need someone there leveling you and um, we all make little habits and little habits become big habits and then big big habits become really difficult to correct and I've always I've been very lucky in that my dad was also very supportive of that concept and um, I remember when Isabel Worth came out many years ago to launch this saddle at Horseland and um there was a question and answer session with her and one of the questions, she just told us that she, you know, ate, rode eight horses a day and one of the, lesson, the little girls in the audience asked her how many lessons she had a week. Mm. And she was very confused by the question and needed it to be 
translated. And she she was so shocked when it was translated. She said, ah, but you should never ride without your coach. <laughs> maybe, maybe you hack maybe you hack out that coach, but you never train without your coach. <laughs> and uh, so we were just thinking, okay, she has eight lessons a day, right. <laughs> um, the good tennis players, they don't hit up against someone of lesser ability. They're, they're hitting up against their coach and their coach is constantly giving feedback about too much, um, you know, swing and the racket was slightly at a different angle and, you know, it's so intricate. So... Every single coach has made a massive. Oh, I've got a lot out of every single person I've worked out of, and I've really learned a lot from every horse that I've had come my way. But I think the two, two ones that have inspired me the most is probably Rosie Ryan. She's a real hero of mine. Mm-hmm. She has had so many triumphs, but I believe she's taught more people about the way to behave in in soul-destroying disappointment than anyone I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And she experiences both winning and and these massive disappointments with the most amazing grace. So she would definitely be a hero of mine. And Vince Corby, who knew more about horses than anyone I've ever met and still took days off work to sit next to trainer and, and just listen. Yes. And he always wanted to know more. And I think it says so much of such a horseman and person when they're in their 70s and they know as much as him and he took days off work to sit down and be open to learning more. Another thing about Vince too, even if he went to someone that, you know, obviously didn't know as much as him, he always would ask a very thoughtful, intelligent question. Yes. Mm. Yes. That mm. got you thinking. Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That was good. All right. So horses, yep. you know, I know you've said that you've learned yes. a lot from every horse that you've ridden. Horses in particular, yes. are there any that stand out? Oh, gosh. They're each so special and every, you can learn something every time you put your foot in the stirrup. But, uh, look, Glencoe Manhattan was a really special horse for me. I, I wasn't good enough when I had him. I wish I had him now and I could have done him more justice. He, he just came to me too early in my career, but he was an amazing horse. Um, Flavio, he was really inspiring and made me want to be a better rider. Uh, first time. He was the most beautiful and trusting soul because he was terrified of life and he always did as much as he could for me, despite it. So that was a massive achievement in earning a horse's trust. And then there was Broussard, who was the most amazing athlete I'll ever have the pleasure to train and campaign. On him, I just felt like I could reach the stars. He, he was just the most amazing horse. I felt like I was on Pegasus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. So what do you think's been your proudest moment out of all of that? And uh, you know what? The Buddhists say that pride is a sin, and I've been proud so many times, so I don't know if that means I'm going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's when all your training has paid off. That, that They're the proudest moments for me, when you've worked really hard to overcome some weaknesses and strengthen your strengths. Then when it all comes together in a dressage test, the empty bank account and the sweat and the tears are all worth it. I really struggled as a pony club rider to sit trot. And even now I just I love sitting trot. It's one of my you know, just something little like that. But mm. if I look back at really proudest moments, you know, there's heaps of proud moments with students as well when they've achieved 
things we've really worked hard towards and reached our goals and, and surpassed our goals that we had at the beginning of the year. But over the last 25 years, I've had three state championships where my team, so two or three horses, we've won all the state titles from Novice to Intermediate One. So that mm. was, they were pretty amazing years. A particular test that springs to mind is first time first Grand Prix. You got 68% from Mary Zeefried, who's an Olympic five-star judge. So that was a really proud moment for me. And finishing the Intermediate One test at the 2015 Australian Championship from Dante, that test was absolutely everything we had trained for. Everything. I finished it and just such a proud moment. Getting the biggest hug and uh, it was just, and um, I didn't care what the score was. Um, <laughs> but when the school came out of 71% and he was first, my hubby and I had just tears pouring down our faces because um, the meaning in that, because it was such a tremendous field in such good company, mm. and I was so proud of the test that, you know, to win and get a good score is just icing on the cake. Um, and I didn't need the icing, but man, oh man, the icing was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, and a remarkable a moment for you. Yes. <laughs> now, Nicole, it's not, I know it hasn't all been a fairy tale. What's no. been, you know, you have your ups and your downs. Yes. What's been your biggest challenge, do you think? Every time I go back to a three-year-old breaker, that's a challenge. <laughs> Every time I take that one to their first competition, that's yep. a challenge. And then overcoming a bad fall in 2011, mm-hmm. um, I sustained a bad back injury I am learning to manage pain and learning to ride with my left side really um, I was on a walking stick for eight months and I could have no feeling in my left leg. So I guess I learned a lot about compassion and for other riders that are dealing with much worse than that and learning about pain and managing pain. That was um, a huge challenge to overcome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think they're pretty much <laughs> my biggest challenges. And do you think your biggest challenge has turned you into a better rider and a better coach? Definitely, yeah. I think every experience, whether it's good or bad, builds character and overcoming challenges certainly makes you a better rider. I think there's another quote that says, smooth seas do not make good sailors. Yes, <laughs> yes. So you know, if you never have a challenge to try to overcome, then your experience is narrowed down so much by that. Mm, mm. So, yes, definitely. Mm. Okay. Now, what about putting on your judge's cap and your coach's cap? Yes. And thinking about a problem that riders would have, you know, a common problem, a problem that's that you've seen, but I also want to know how to fix it, you know, to do with judging, yep. to do yep. with riding, training. What do you think? I think that the most common handling issue and riding issues are riders wanting shortcuts and becoming complacent with handling. You know, there there are no shortcuts in training, and if you do take them, they'll only bite you in the bum later. Um, There is no elevator to expertise. You just have to take one step at a time and not try and take the shortcuts. People, you know, I often travel around Australia giving clinics and someone will come and say, I want to work flying changes, but their transition from trot to canter, the horse is running through trot and then it's hollowing to canter. Uh, It doesn't have enough self-carriage. 
in any of the three passes for it for the rider to for the horse to be enabled to do a flying change it requires a great amount of training before you get to that point and mm-hmm. um, riders want to take too many shortcuts they don't want to know about it because it's hard work and I think that's the biggest mistake I see and so my solution to that again is find a good coach who won't let you take shortcuts and make sure that you're really building your athlete underneath you and enabling that horse to do the job that you want it to do and that you don't have to force it to do what you want it to do. Yeah yeah and in finding a good coach you know they've got to have a certain amount of trust and confidence within that coach to not take the shortcuts you know to stick with the coach to keep going. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, I can think of two of my young students who was, they were both in the learning a flying chain stage. Mm. And they had enough faith in me because I said, look, we have to take a year off the circuit. It might take a year, it might take six months, it might take 18 months, but we've got to stay at home and just sort these out. Mm. And some horses picked them up really easily and some riders picked them up and some just get so tangled and confused. And and to their credit, they did stay home and we did nail them and both of them took their horses to Grand Prix, um, you know, with 50 time changes. And mm. so it's just such a testament to patience and perseverance. Yes, yes. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory with practical components that can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Thanks. All right. Now, I know before you talked about having the time with the coach, but I still want to have a, a book to recommend, you know, because I think that the books really complement and they can increase the writer's knowledge and further their training. So have you got one today for us? Uh, Absolutely. I am an avid book reader. Every time I can't ride because it's raining, Mm. more than going back to books now, but that used to be what I did. Uh, But once you've reread your favourites a few times, then (laughs) um, I every time there's a masterclass on, even if it's in New Zealand, even if it's Western Australia or Melbourne, I'm on that plane and I'm beside that arena with my pen in my hand and my notepad and I'm writing notes that mean something to me that is a good way of putting something. And on a rainy day, I will go into my office and dig out those notes and reread them. Mm-hmm. And I've got so, I've got, I've got oh, just a hundred pages of Vince Corvey. I've got, you know, pages of Stefan Peters notes. I've got pages and pages of Carl Hester and, and Charlotte Dujardin. And I love going back and rereading them. And then when you get back in the saddle, when the rain finally passes, you just so much more empowered by the words that you've heard. And so I would really encourage people to go to masterclasses, even if you're not writing, and just sit down and watch what they're doing and how the coach is describing and explaining and recommending and suggesting changes. But you asked about books, and I'm not going to skirt around the question. The official handbook of the German National Equestrian Federation, Advanced Techniques of Dressage, is a fabulous book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've got so many notes and highlights through that book. It's a technical book, but it's fantastic and it's really correct and you can't go wrong if you read it. Any of Carl Hester's books are a wonderful read. The first one I read was 10 years ago, just Dressage Made Simple. And it's a really, it's a great read and you can tell he was going to be 
that he was special right back, you know, back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, yep. That's really good. All right. Now, what are you looking forward to, Nicole? Well, we um, I've just got having a roof built over my arena now mm-hmm. <laughs> as I speak. So that's very exciting. It's a dream come true for me. Um, I was diagnosed with melanoma this April and had two operations to remove my right ear. I was really, really lucky. My skin cancer specialist had just said to me on my last yearly checkup, I just want to see you every six months from now on because you work outside in the sun and you're on horses out in the sun and, you know, your life is outside. So I went back for my six-month checkup and I had a level four melanoma on my ear. And so uh, that then resulted in lots of tests and scans and, and, you know, checking lymph nodes that it hadn't travelled or metastasized anywhere else. And anyway, as a result of that, our retirement plan or my husband's retirement plan was the roof, and that was so that I never had an excuse not to work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's something that people in other parts of the world don't necessarily understand. It's not always because of the cold. It's sometimes because of the rain, no. but a lot of the time it's because of the sun. Mm. Shade, yeah, getting out of the sun. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm really looking forward to. We've just got a new horse arrive from Germany, Felix, from Gustav Nymphenberg in Germany. He's a really exciting young mm-hmm. horse. He's owned by Emma and Paul Wheel. So I'm really looking forward to um, seeing what we can make of him. Um, so there's... And my own two youngsters as well. Um, I love bringing horses on from the beginning to the to the end, and watching their transformation and and working with them through the levels. And people often say to me, "Oh my gosh, you're going back to do a prenatal? That that can be really boring." And I just say to every horse, every level is hard <laughs> for that yes, preliminary yes. horse. Pre- that preliminary test is hard for my Grand Prix horse. Yeah, sure. That preliminary test mm, is easy. Mm. You can do it in his warm-up. But no, I never get bored at going back and, and doing it again. It, it's really exciting and sometimes too exciting. <laughs> but um, yes. <laughs> I think you had a story for us too, Nicole, about, you know, just, and this is about what great levelers horses are, you know, about riding in a Grand Prix test oh, and then yes. going and. Uh, yeah, it's my last yeah. test. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, thank you, Glenis. My last test last year <laughs> was my Grand Prix test. In, that was in 2016. It was my last test to finish that year. And then my first test this year was the 1.1. And I made an error, of course. <laughs> 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 I, and, and I joked about it beforehand. I was reading it, learning it. And I said to my friend, Emma, oh my gosh, it would be so embarrassing if I made an error course in this test. And I made an error course. <laughs> and it wasn't embarrassing at all. It was just funny. <laughs> and yeah, yes, a great yeah, leveler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Nicole, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today, please? For me, every session with your horse is a gym session. And the rider is the personal trainer. As a coach, I want to help the rider be a better personal trainer. So that involves ensuring that they help their horse to be a happier, stronger athlete who can do the tasks required of them with ease and harmony, so without force. For me, training is about enabling the horse to be that athlete, not forcing them or carrying them around a training session or a competition arena. And this is what dressage training is about for me, and this is when it looks beautiful. Mm, 
Mm. Okay, that's good. And I think something for people to think about as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you put a show jumper that's comfortable in D-grade, if you put it in a B-grade show jump round, you're setting it up to fail. You're throwing it in the deep end Mm. without floaties and you're saying, just do it. And that's not fair. Horse didn't put their hand up and say, pick me, pick me. I want to be a dressage horse. Yes, yes. They don't do that. So it's our job to make sure that they understand what's required of them and that we build their bodies up so their bodies can do it easily, mm. not not with difficulty. And if they're doing it with difficulty, you shouldn't be putting it in front of a dressage judge because it's not ready yet. If it's doing it with difficulty, it's not ready to show. You've got to get the horse comfortable before you can say, right, here's my training. What do you think? Give me some feedback. Give me something to practice. Yep. And yep. I always run through a test before a comp or a month before. If I think I'm, I think, I think I'm ready for the next, you know, whatever test, I'll run it through with my coach a month before. And if the horse feels like it can do it and I'm happy with it, then I'll say, yep, I'll enter that competition. Yes. And we'll put my training to the test. But if I can't do it at home, how can I do it out? Because the horse can only ever go as good as it goes at home. It can't go better than that. Yes. There's too many interruptions. You can get a flat tire on the way to a competition. The ring can be running late. The judges aren't there. Someone's ran into you in the warm-up. There are so many things that can go wrong that it's unrealistic to say, right, this horse has to do what it better than what it does at home it's not it's not going to happen so if you're not happy with what you're doing at home don't put out out in front of anyone yep yep look i think it's been very good very good talking to you today and hopefully it's quite good for the listeners and they can understand you know what you're doing i think it's been engaging that you've been able to influence yeah i think influence people just with your thoughts and your understanding of training and and um, yes. everything else has been good. Yeah, that's All right. good. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Nicole. Thank you for talking to us today. Uh, um, thank yeah, you we've enjoyed for your that. Time too, Gladys. Yeah. Okay. All right. And hopefully we'll catch up again with you sometime soon. Yes. Excellent. Goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye, anyone who's listening. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 